Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, a podcast that provides the best content about all things sports. I'm Ryan McCrary, and on today's episode, I'm going to start by talking about two huge transactions that went down in Major League Baseball recently. We've got the Corbin Burns trade and Bobby Witt Jr. signing a big, big contract extension with the Kansas City Royals. After that, I want to talk about this year's NBA trade deadline, which was yesterday on Thursday. I'm recording this on Friday. And then to close out the podcast, I want to preview this year's Super Bowl between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. I think that game is going to be awesome, and I can't wait to talk about it. Well, that's what we have on tap for today's episode. I hope you're excited. I know I am. And let's go ahead and dive right in. Alright, let's go ahead and get this show started by talking about the Corbin Burns trade. Before I get into this, I do want to apologize for getting this podcast out late. I usually get this podcast out on Wednesday at the latest, but I've been really busy this week, and this is the only time I've had to record the podcast, so I apologize for that. I hope y'all will forgive me and be understanding. But let's go ahead and dive right into this Corbin Burns trade. I'm going to pull up an article from CBS Sports that kind of outlines all of the details of this trade. Um, so here, here is what, here are all the players that were involved in this deal. So the Baltimore Orioles traded uh, shortstop Joey Ortiz, left-handed pitcher D.L. Hall, and draft pick number 34 to the Milwaukee Brewers for right-handed pitcher Corbin Burns. And based on everything I've read, it sounds like this was a pretty lopsided trade in favor of the Baltimore Orioles. It sounds like the Milwaukee Brewers didn't get all they could uh, for um, Corbin Burns. And I looked at all of the numbers for Cor- Corbin Burns, and I think this is a big, big deal for the Orioles. This is a big addition to their pitching staff, which was already great last year. Last season, they ranked top 10 in basically every category when you look at ERA, WHIP, um, you know, all these big stats that measure pitching production. They were top 10 in all of them. So their pitching staff was already good, and they're adding a very good pitcher in Corbin Burns to that pitching staff. That's huge. Now, I do want to point out that Corbin Burns is not the same player that he was in 2021, when he played at an extremely high level and was arguably the best pitcher on the planet. His numbers since then have consistently gone down. He's still a really good player, but his numbers across the board have gotten worse. His ERA, his ERA estimators, they've gone down. His pitching run values, metrics that measure the value of all his different pitches, from his fastball to his breaking ball, they've all gone down a little bit. And even his fa- his average fastball velocity has gone down. Um, and that's all a bit concerning. Um, and so I'm not sure that you can expect him to play at an elite level next season. But he has still been performing at a pretty high level. He's still been good. Just hasn't been elite like he was two seasons ago. And so that's something to consider when you're, you know, projecting how good he's going to be and the kind of impact that he will provide for the Orioles pitching staff. He's still a good player, but not best pitcher in the world caliber like he was just two, three years ago. Um, so I still like this trade for the Orioles. I think it's great. I think it was an awesome deal. Uh, but I, I would temper my expectations if you're an Orioles fan, an Orioles fan, uh, evaluating this trade. 
Alright, now let's go ahead and look at the Bobby Witt Jr. contract. So earlier this week, Bobby Witt Jr. signed a 11-year, $288.8 million contract extension with the Kansas City Royals, and this is huge. So Bobby Witt Jr. is, I, I think he's like 23 years old at the moment, is coming off a really strong season in which he had an OPS plus of 120, which means that his OPS plus, or sorry, which means that his OPS, his on-base plus slugging, was about 20% higher than league average when you factor in um, the, the ballpark that he plays in and the league average run environment. So he had a strong season. He was good defensively, had a, had 4.4 wins above replacement, which is all-star level, and he was getting MVP votes. So he had a really good season last year, and the um, the Royals decided to lock him down long, long term early. This is something that the Atlanta Braves have done with their young talent over the last couple of years. They sign their guys to long term deals early. They take that gamble, and it's worked. It's paid out. It's paid off for them. It's worked out for them, and hopefully, it will work out for the Royals here. I did want to mention some opt outs that are included in this contract. Uh, Jeff Passan tweeted this out um, a few days ago, and so I want to read this. He tweeted, Bobby Witt, uh, Bobby Witt Jr.'s deal with the Royals as the now working link above shows, sorry, that includes a link that he tweeted, has opt-outs after the 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th years of his 11-year contract. Let's pause here. So, it sounds like Bobby Witt Jr. has opt-outs in years 7, 8, 9, and 10 of his contract. So, it sounds like if I'm reading this correctly, and if, I, if I'm interpreting this properly, he can opt out of the contract after the 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th year of the contract, which is big for him. Because this is a long-term deal, and a long-term deal like this so early in his career is risky for him, but it sounds like there are opt-outs included that he can opt out um, if the money he's getting isn't up to par. Um, this tweet also says, it also includes a three-year club option that can take the total value of the deal up to 14 years and $377.7 million once the contract is finished once it comes to a close, and that's big for the team. So let's say Bobby Wood Jr. is playing at a very high level, even up to the point where the contract ends. They can extend that contract up to three years, so um, and that's big for the team. Overall, I really like this contract for both sides. I think, you know, it's risky for a team to, to offer such a young player a long-term deal like this because they can get hurt, their, their abilities can fall off, but there's also a ton of upside here. Let's say that Bobby Witt Jr. continues to get better offensively, and let's say that during his prime, he's playing at an, at an MVP level. Let's say that that's in the cards because he was playing at, at a level where he was getting MVP votes last year at just 23 years old. So let's say that he continues to play at, at, a, at a very high level and maybe plays at an MVP level at some point. If that's the case, then this contract is probably going to be very worth it. And so for that, it's huge for the Royals. I think this is a, a pretty team-friendly deal for the Royals. But it's also... It also works out for Bobby Wood Jr. I think there are, there's a lot to like here for the player um, because he can opt out so soon. Because he can opt out in year 7, 8, 9, and 10 of the deal, that's big for Bobby Wood Jr. And also, you have to take into account that players aren't guaranteed to play this long. 
And so he's getting guaranteed money for over a decade. And that is huge for any player. And yes, he may be losing value at some point during his prime. Um, but there's some security there in taking a long-term deal right now that's going to pay him guaranteed money for over a decade. That's enticing, and for that, I understand why he signed a deal like this. Um, and overall, I think it's a good deal for both sides. I think it makes sense for both the player and the team. And hopefully, it works out for both sides, and hopefully Bobby Wood Jr. continues to get better. And maybe at some point, they can restructure the deal and get him more money. But for now, I like this contract, and I think it is a, a good move for both the team and the player. Alright, those are my thoughts on the two big uh, transactions that we saw um, occur in Major League Baseball over the last week. Uh, now I want to talk about the NBA trade deadline. Before I get into that, I'm going to take a break and I will be right back in just a second. Alright, now we can talk about the NBA trade deadline, which was yesterday, and this was a very interesting trade deadline. There were a ton of deals that went through, but no big names were traded, um, and there wasn't a blockbuster deal, and there were some big names that were reported could possibly get moved, like DeJounte Murray, Zach Levine, uh, DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso, but none of those guys were traded. Um, I'm going to go through a lot of the deals. I'm not going to go through every single one because I don't want this segment to take forever, uh, but there were there were some deals that I thought were very interesting that I wanted to get my thoughts on. Um, and you know what, I may, I may like name every trade and, and what the details were of each deal, but I won't do a deep dive into all of them. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm looking at a list of all the trades and we'll go ahead and dive into them. So first off, we have, um, a, a trade between the Knicks and the Pistons. The Knicks traded Quentin Grimes, Malachi Flynn, Evan Fournier, Ryan Archidiakono, and two second round picks to the Detroit Pistons for Alec Burks and Mohan Bogdanovich. I really like this trade for the Knicks. Um, I hate that they had to give up Quentin Grimes, who was a good young player who can defend and also shoot, and that's really valuable. Uh, but they got two older veteran players who are really good offensively who can shoot, and that's been their biggest weakness, three-point shooting. Um, and they've been like an average team in terms of three-point shooting this year, so... Alec Burks and Mohan Bogdanovich, they're going to help out with that, um, and that that improves their rotation. They're going to be a really deep team in the playoffs, and if their three-point shooting improves, they could be a really scary team to, to face during the postseason. So, I love this trade. Um, I think the Pistons got a lot back. They got Quentin Grimes, Malachi Flynn. Those guys are solid players. Quentin Grimes is obviously an impact player who can have a, a major impact now. They also got two second-round picks. Um, We'll see if Evan Fournier plays a major role on the team. Um, but overall, I like this trade for both sides, but I really, really like it for the Knicks. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next trade. Um, I'm not going to do a deep dive into this. The Bucks traded Cameron Payne and a 2027 second round pick to the 76ers for Patrick Beverly. I like this for the Bucks um, because Patrick Beverly, a solid player, a solid point guard who can come off the bench and play in the playoffs. Not sure what this means for the 76ers. This is a trade that sounds like maybe they aren't confident that Joel Embiid will be able to come back and be healthy for a large portion of the regular season, but who knows? Um, don't have a lot to say about this trade, but I did like this move for the Bucks. Um, a little bit. Next up, we have, this was a pretty big trade and one of the bigger trades we saw at the trade deadline. The Thunder traded Trey Mann, Davis Bertans, 
I hope I can pronounce his name properly, uh, Vasily Michich and draft compensation to the Charlotte Hornets for Gordon Hayward. Love this trade for the Thunder. Gordon Hayward is that rare forward who has good size. He's six foot seven, 225 pounds, and he can shoot and pass. Um, his number, his offensive numbers over the last couple of years have started to decline. Um, and he is a bit injury prone, but he's a talented offensive player who can shoot, pass. That's kind of rare for a guy his size, and I think he will be a good fit on this team. It'll be interesting to see if the Thunder start him or not, because I think he is a better fit in their starting five than Josh Giddy. Josh Giddy is a good, talented young player, but he can't shoot, and he's not a great fit next to uh, Shane Gilgis-Alexander and Jalen Williams, and I would like to see the Thunder start Gordon Hayward within their starting five, and move Josh Giddy to the bench, uh, but we'll see what they do there. And for the Hornets, um, they didn't get a ton back for Gordon Hayward, but I do like Trey Mann. I think he is a solid young player with some potential. He hasn't been amazing in the NBA, but we'll see how he plays um, in Charlotte. And Davis Bertans, at his peak, he was a great shooter, but he hasn't been all that impactful over the last couple of years. So we'll see um, how, how that plays out and what kind of draft composition they get. But for the Thunder, I love this trade. And I think this was a, ni- a nice, smart move from, from their GM, Sam Presti. Next up, let's see. I wanted to talk about this trade. The Mavericks, they traded Grant Williams, Seth Curry, and a first-round pick to the Charlotte Hornets in return from P.J. Washington and two second-round picks. Solid trade all around. Um, I like this for the Mavericks, getting P.J. Washington, who is a talented young player. Is it having the best season right now? But we know that he is a good player. He has he has produced at, at, a, at a very solid level over the last couple of years, and they also got two second-round picks. They offloaded the Grant Williams contract, did have to move a first-round pick, but they're a team that's trying to win, and I think this move makes sense for them. Um, I like the Hornets getting a first-round pick and also getting some talent there in Grant Williams, who, who's young and has played in the playoffs, um, and they also got Seth Curry. So overall, I thought this was a solid move from both teams, and I think it may, makes a lot of sense for both sides. Next up, we have the another trade involving the Mavericks. They traded Rashawn Holmes and a 2024 first-round pick to the Washington uh, Wizards in return for Daniel Gafford. I love Daniel Gafford. I'm a big fan of his. Great offensive rebounder who can finish around the basket. And they ha- they gave up Rashawn Holmes and a first-round pick. A solid return for the Wizards. This is another trade where I think it makes a lot of sense for both sides. And I actually like it a lot for both teams. So shout out to both teams here, making a nice all-around move here. I like that trade for both teams. Next up, we have the Celtics trading Lamar Stevens, a 2027 second-round pick via the Hawks, and a 2030 second-round pick via the Mavericks to the Memphis Grizzlies in return for Xavier Tillman. Not going to do a deep dive into that. Then we have another big trade, which I thought was a weird move, and I'll get into that. So the Toronto Raptors traded Kyra Lewis Jr., Otto Porter Jr., and a 2024 first-round pick to the Utah Jazz for Kelly Olynyk and Ochai Agbahi. Weird trade for the Raptors because, and, and I love Kelly Olynyk. I think he is a great role player, and o- Ochai Agbahi, he's young, has shown flashes. 
I love what they got in return, but I'm just not sure that this trade makes sense for them in terms of their timeline. Like, this is the kind of trade that, that you make if you're, like, a contender or a playoff team that's trying to improve your roster to make a, a, a run in the playoffs. But the Raptors aren't really in that position, so I'm not sure why they made a move like this. It's a, it's a decent package for Kelly Olenek, but just I didn't think that they were the team that was going to make a trade like this. And if that's all that it took to get Kelly Olenek, I'm surprised that another team that is a contender or is a good playoff caliber team didn't try to swoop in and, and make a better deal. So that shocked me. For the Jazz, um, I thought they could have gotten more for Kelly Olenek and Agbahi. I thought they could have gotten uh, maybe another pick or a better player in the package. So weird trade all around. I like what the Raptors got. I'm just not sure that this trade really makes sense for them at the moment. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Um, this was a, an, an interesting trade here that I just saw. The Raptors traded Dennis Schroeder and Thaddeus Young to the Nets um, in return for Spencer Dinwiddie. It sounds like Dinwiddie is going to be cut. And this is an interesting move, too. So, like, if you're going to make the Kelly Olenek trade, why make this trade? Maybe maybe there's something going on here that I'm just not sure about that I don't know. Uh, but this is a trade. This looks like a trade where they're selling players and trying to just unload contracts. So, like, I, I don't know what the Raptors were doing or what they were doing at the trade deadline. The moves they made didn't make a ton of sense, in my opinion, but who knows. I, I like this trade for the Nets. I think um, it gives them two two good players that can provide impact for their team. Um, but, yeah, another weird trade for the Raptors that I, I'm just, I, I'm not sure what their timeline is and what they're doing and what, what like, the long-term goal is for this team. I'm just not sure. Let's go ahead and move on, though. Uh, another big trade here. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers traded Marcus Morris, Forkon Korkmaz, and three second-round picks to the Indiana Pacers in return for Buddy Heald. I love this trade for the 76ers. It gives them shooting. Um, I think it gives them a player that can play in the playoffs, and, it, and this trade improves their roster. And for the Indiana Pacers, this is a really underwhelming Buddy Heald trade. And Heald has been in trade rumors for like two, three years. I don't know how long it's been, but it's been a long time. And I'm surprised that this is the return they got for him. I thought they could have gotten more. And if they did this trade, or if they traded Buddy Heald years ago, they could have gotten more. And they could have included him in a bigger deal when they could have gotten a better player. So I think this is a very disappointing trade for the Pacers, but an awesome move for the 76ers. Alright, let's see. What's another move? Here we here we go. We got the Indiana Pacers trading Marcus Morris and a second round pick plus cash to the Indiana Pacers for Doug McDermott. Add some shooting for, uh, for the Pacers, so I like that. Um, and he's on an expiring contract, so I, just, I, I like that the Spurs were able to get something for him. I'm um, not going to go too deep into that. Then we have the Minnesota Timberwolves trading Shake Milton, Troy Brown Jr., and a 20-30 second-round pick from the Timberwolves uh, to the Detroit Pistons for Monte Morris, who was one of the best backup point guards in the league. I like that for the Timberwolves. Um, and I think the Pistons did a solid job here. They got a pick. They got a solid player in Shake Milton. Um, who can shoot, who's a solid player. Um, so, solid move all around, but I really, really like this for the Timberwolves specifically. 
Next up, we have um, the Phoenix Suns. This is actually a three-team deal involving the Phoenix Suns, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Memphis Grizzlies. So the Phoenix Suns received Roy, uh, Royce O'Neal and David Roddy. The Nets received salaries and three second-round picks, and the Grizzlies received something that is to be determined. And I'm not exactly sure what they got in return, but interesting trade there. Next up, we have the Pistons trading Kevin Knox, a 2024 second-round pick via the Wizards, and the draft rights to Gabriel Prosida, and the Pistons received Simone Fonticchio. Interesting trade. Not going to go too neat into this. I will say that SportingNews.com uh, gave the Jazz a B-plus for this, and the Pistons a C-minus. So they really liked this trade for the Utah Jazz. Alright, next up, we have one of my favorite trades from the trade deadline, and this trade didn't go down yesterday, it went down a week ago, um, and this is actually the last trade I'm going to talk about. You have the Houston Rockets trading Victor Oladipo and three second round picks to the Memphis Grizzlies for Steven Adams. Steven Adams is not playing this year due to a major knee injury, but he is a really good player. He's a great offensive rebounder, he can finish around the basket, a great role player, I think he's awesome, and I think he will be an awesome backup big for them, uh, backing up Alperin Sangoon. He won't play this year, but he will play next year, and I think this is just a very smart, long-term move. This is a great team-building decision here. I love the trade for the Rockets. I think this is awesome, and I love this trade. And that's the last move I have to talk about here. I did want to mention a few teams who didn't really do anything. That's the Atlanta Hawks the Los Angeles Lakers, the Chicago Bulls, and the Golden State Warriors. There were rumors that these teams could make a trade at the trade deadline, but they didn't. They all stood pat. For the Atlanta Hawks, I think it made sense. Uh, as a Hawks fan, I didn't want the team to trade DeJounte Murray in a bad deal where they didn't get enough. I didn't want them to panic and make a bad deal, so I like that. For the Lakers, I'm not sure it really made sense for them to stand pat. I, they're a team that needs to try to contend with LeBron James and Anthony Davis still on the roster. If you're not trying to contend, I'm not sure why you wouldn't consider training LeBron James or and or Anthony Davis, so I thought that was interesting. The Chicago Bulls not training anybody made no sense. I don't know what they're doing, and if I were a Bulls fan, I'd be really upset. They're not a great team. And you have players that you can trade for a decent return, like Zach Levine, um, DeMar DeRozan, Alex Caruso, Nikola Vucevic. Trade those guys, man. Like, get something in return. Rebuild. Like, be realistic about the long-term future of your team. I'm not sure what they're doing, and I didn't really understand why they did nothing at the trade deadline. I didn't think that made sense. And then we have the Golden State Warriors. Um, they could have possibly traded Clay Thompson or maybe one or two of their young players like Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga. They stood pat. Um, it makes more sense for them to stand pat than like the Lakers or the Bulls, but I would have liked to see them make a move, either adding somebody, uh, training their younger players to get a good player, uh, training. You know, they could have also traded a Andrew Wiggins, who was having a really underwhelming season, but they didn't do anything. And I'm kind of surprised that they didn't 
try to make a big trade to get somebody who can help, uh, who can help them win now. Um, and I also wouldn't have been surprised if they were sellers a little bit and traded Andrew Wiggins, Clay Thompson, those guys. So very interesting that the Warriors didn't make any kind of move at the trade deadline. We'll see how that works out for them in the future. Well, those are my thoughts about the NBA trade deadline. Wow, I cannot talk. Those are my thoughts about the NBA trade deadline and all the moves that went down. Like I said earlier, there weren't many huge moves. There were a lot of trades, but not many, not many major moves that went down. And there were no stars that were traded. But it was it was a solid a solid trade deadline, and I enjoyed it. Now I'm going to go ahead and preview the Super Bowl between the uh, the Chiefs and the 49ers. Before I do that, I'm going to take one last break, and I will be right back in just a second. Alright, the time has come. It is now time to preview this year's Super Bowl between the Chiefs and the 49ers. I am so excited about this game. I'm really looking forward to this matchup. I think it is a great matchup uh, between two really good teams. I think it's going to come down to the wire, and I think it's going to be a close game. But yeah, let's go ahead and dive in, and I'm actually going to pull up some numbers. We're going to do a really deep dive into this game um, and really talk about matchups, what matchups favor which team here. Um, but yeah, this is going to be really good, and I'm really excited. So, first things to know, the 49ers are favored in this game. They are favored by two, I believe, at the moment, unless the line has changed. So, they are slight favorites in this game. And I'll go ahead and start by talking about the 49ers since they are favorites and I'm pulling up some numbers here. Let's go ahead and talk about their offense. So if you have looked at any of the numbers for the 49ers, you'll know they are a offensive juggernaut. This year, they rank first in EPA for play and first in success rate on offense, which is great. Their offensive efficiency is off the charts and they are elite throwing and running the ball. They are first in drop in EPA per drop back, first in drop back success rate. They're also first in EPA per rush. They're one of only three teams that average positive EPA per rush, which is kind of hard to do. Like they're great, a great running team. And they are number one in rushing success rate. So they are like number one in every single efficiency metric when you look at EPA per play and success rate, which is incredible. Like that's awesome. Um, and I believe that they they lean more towards passing within their offense. I think their pass rate is like a little over 50%, um, but they're going to be very balanced within this game, in my opinion. Um, and that's fine, because they can throw the ball at a high level. They can also run the ball at a high level, and I think they will, they will need to do both at a high level to win this game. Um, now, we can look at their defense. Um, and this is a completely different story than their offense. Their defense is not the juggernaut that their offense is. Um, up into the playoffs, and actually, we can go ahead and um, we'll actually go back and look at the offensive numbers because I didn't include the postseason. I don't think it changes the numbers that much when you include the postseason, but I do think it takes their rushing success rate down a little bit, um, or maybe their rush EPA. No, it doesn't? Okay, yeah, so it doesn't change anything. Um, we'll look at their defensive numbers. And now this includes the postseason as well. Um, so their defensive EPA or their EPA per play on defense is 14th, um, which is around league average. Um, so their defense is nowhere near as good as their offense. And 
we can look at success rate as well. That's another important metric to look at. In terms of success rate on defense, they rank 17th. Um, not great. And that's that's a little bit alarming when you're going up, uh, going up against a team like the Chiefs, who do have a, a good offense. Um, and we can look at how their defense fares against dropbacks and against the run. Um, their EPA for dropback allowed is fifth. So they do have a good pass defense. And their dropback success rate is seventh. So they rank top 10 in both EPA per dropback and dropback drop back success rate, which is really good. And you're going to need that because that is the strength of the Chiefs' offense, passing. And we'll get into that later. Uh, but the main, the one critical issue with the 49ers' defense is their run defense. They cannot stop the run at all. Uh, their EPA per rush is 27th. Really, really bad. And their uh, rushing success rate on defense is 30th. That is really bad. Um, and so that is a major weakness with this team that the Chiefs can possibly exploit. Um, now, I wanted to look at their team PFF grades. So if you look at PFF, um, if you have a PFF premium account, you can look at how teams grade in all these different areas. Like you, you can see how their defense grades, how their run defense grades, their tackling, their pass rush coverage, all of that. The 49ers are elite in terms of coverage and their pass rush. Uh, they rank top three in coverage grade and pass rush grade as a team, which is really good. And overall, their defense ranks third in PFF grade, which is interesting. I think that that's interesting to know. And then offensively, they're great across the board. They rank number one in team PFF grade. Um, they, they rank number one in, in PFF run grade, rushing grade. Uh, their run blocking grade is number one. Their, their pass blocking grade is low. That's like one of their biggest weaknesses. Their offensive line is not great. Uh, at protecting the passer, but n n overall, they're a great team. They do have some weaknesses here and there, like their pass blocking and um, their run defense, but still a really good team, a historically good team at that. Like They, they are an awesome team, uh, but they do have some, some weaknesses that the Chiefs can exploit. Now let's look at the Chiefs. Let's talk about them for, for a little bit, and I want to talk about their offense first. So, um, well, the 49ers are this offensive juggernaut, the Chiefs aren't quite there. They're good offensively, but I wouldn't say that they are elite. I'm looking at their numbers, and this does include the playoffs. They are 10th in EPA per play, um, and they are 12th in success rate, which is good, but not great. Um, not as great as you'd want it to be. And you know what? We can even look, um, after I'm done looking at all these numbers, we can look at their numbers specifically in the playoffs, because I, I think their playoff numbers are worse than you might expect. Now we can look at how their offense fares um, in terms of dropbacks and rushes. So their EPA per dropback is 8th, and their dropback success rate is 6th. So um, the strength of their offense is their passing game, which should be, should be no surprise if you watch this team. And now we'll look at their run game. Their run game is pretty weak. Uh, they rank 21st in EPA per rush, and they rank, let me see, 27th in rushing success rate, which is really disappointing to see because that's like the biggest weakness with the 49ers defense. The 49ers defense is not great at stopping the run. 
That was very apparent if you watched their game against the Lions in the NFC Championship. And if the Chiefs can't exploit this weakness, I do think they're going to have a hard time winning this team. Winning, sorry, winning this game. So the Chiefs' run game versus the uh, 49ers' run defense that is going to be a big matchup to look out for while you're watching this game. Now I did say that I wanted to look at the Chiefs' offensive numbers. Um, just in the playoffs, and I'm going to do that right here. Um, and let's see. So, we have all the playoff teams here. And in terms of EPA per play, they rank 7th. And, of course, this includes all the playoff teams. So, some teams play just one game. Some teams play more than that. Um, they, in terms of EPA per play, the Chiefs offense ranks 7th. In terms of success rate, they rank 8th. In terms of EPA per dropback, they do rank third, which is great to see. And in terms of uh, dropback success rate, they rank fourth, which is also really good to see. Um, then you look at EPA per rush, they rank 11th. And in terms of rushing success rate, they rank 12th. Um, so their, their passing game has been really good and really efficient in the playoffs, but they haven't been able to run the ball all that well and all that efficiently. Um, so overall, their offense... I, watching them play off in the playoffs, it feels like their offense has been better than it was in the regular season, but it honestly hasn't been that great, which w kind of surprised me when I first looked at the numbers. Now, let's go ahead and look at the Chiefs' defense, because this is the strength of this team. Their defense is incredible. It's awesome. They rank, um, let me go ahead and look at both the regular season and the playoffs combined. We'll look at that. Um, uh, let's see, come on, load up. So, um, in the regular season and the playoffs, the Chiefs defense ranks fifth in EPA per play and fifth in success rate, which is great. Their, their defense overall has been awesome this year. It's been incredible. Now we can look at how it fares against the pass and against the run. Um, their EPA, EPA allowed per dropback is third. Once again, really good. And their dropback success rate on defense is ranks third, which is, once again, really good. Their pass defense is elite. And that's huge because the 49ers pass, passing attack is really good. And the Chiefs are going to have to slow their passing attack down. They're going to have to slow down the 49ers passing game. Now let's see how their defense fares against the run. So in terms of EPA allowed per rush, it's bad. They rank 28th in this metric. And in terms of rushing success rate, their defense ranks 23rd. So like the 49ers, their run defense is not very good. And we can look at their team PFF grades like we did with the 49ers. So I'm looking at their defense. Their coverage grade, um, in terms of this, they, they rank 10th. Um, and then pass rush, they rank a little bit lower, um, 17th. So I think that the 49ers... Pass defense, when you look at these like film-based grades and the efficiency, it's better than the, than the uh, Chiefs, arguably. Um, and I'll go ahead and look at their EPA just to make sure I'm not crazy. Yeah, it's good. Their efficiency um, in terms of EPA and success rate is not as good as the Chiefs, but the grading is better. So um, you like to see that if you're a 49ers fan. Um, let's see, what are some, some, some other weaknesses for, for the Chiefs team? I'm looking at their grading here. Um, in terms of the offense, the grades are, are interesting. They rank 11th in 
their overall offensive PFF grade. Uh, they rank fifth in their PFF in PFF's passing grade. The 49ers rank 10th, which makes sense because Mahomes, he had a really good year, um, especially in the postseason when he turned it up and was, like, he's been amazing in the postseason. Um, and Brock Purdy was great in the regular season, but kind of tailed off in the playoffs a little bit. Um, we can look at their run grade. We already looked at that for the 49ers. Uh, the Chiefs, their rushing efficiency is not great, but their PFF rushing grade is 10th in the NFL, which is good to see. Now let's look at, at the uh, Chiefs offensive lines grading. So in terms of run blocking, they're 17th. Uh, let me make sure that's right. Yep, I didn't misread that. And in terms of pass blocking, they are 7th. Seventh. So their pass blocking is good, really good. Their run blocking, not so much. And that's probably a big reason why their, their efficiency in the run game is not that great. Um, so big takeaways from all of this. And I have some notes written down that I want to look at. Um, I think, I think the big thing when you look at this game is the run defense for each team because each team struggles defending the run. And because both teams are really good at defending the pass, I think you're going to see both teams run the ball a lot. Um, will each team be able to exploit the other team's uh, weakness when it comes to defending the run? I'm not sure. We'll see. But I do think that both teams are going to try to attack that weakness. And we, I think we will see both teams rely on their run game a lot. Um, and, and I'm really interested in watching the, the matchup between Steve Spagnuolo, the Chiefs defensive coordinator, and Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers head coach and offensive play caller. Can the Chiefs slow down the 49ers offense, which has been historically good this year? I think that is a big question. And if the Chiefs can't, that makes it tough for them to win this game. But if they can, that gives them a real fighting chance to win this game. So I think their, their defense needs to show up. And it needs to show out in the Super Bowl. Another thing I will be looking at is how how the Chiefs' offense going to look. Are they going to have a lot of success throwing the ball? Are they going to be able to run the ball when they need to? And what is their their run pass rate going to look like? Um, that'll be interesting. And I think Patrick Mahomes has to be really good in this game for the Chiefs to win. They're playing a great team. The 49ers are awesome. And he's going to have to be really, really good for the Chiefs to win this game. And I know he can be. Like, this is not nothing new to Patrick Mahomes. He's a great quarterback, an all-time great quarterback at that. Um, and he's going to have to play at a very high level in this game for the Chiefs to win. He's been playing exceptionally well in the playoffs, and I think that will continue. But he's going to have to step up in a big, big way in the Super Bowl. Something else I'll be, I'll be looking for is Brock Purdy. How's he going to perform? He was really good in the regular season, but in the playoffs, he's been pretty bad. And I know he's been great at the end of the games, and I know he's been able to, to extend plays outside of structure, um, and he's had some big runs in the fourth quarter. But overall, his play hasn't been that great in the playoffs. He's had some dropped interceptions. He's gotten lucky there. Is his decision-making going to be good in this game? And is he going to have a strong performance overall where he's making good decisions? He's accurate. He's making big plays down the field. He's running when he needs to. If he does all of that, 
I think the 49ers have a great chance to win this game. But if he struggles and the 49ers offense isn't clicking like it did in the regular season, I think that is something that will allow the Chiefs to be close in this game and possibly win this game. And overall, looking at matchups and everything, I think this is going to be a lower scoring game and more of a defensive battle. Um, because I think both teams are going to run the ball a lot. And I think, I think the 49ers are going to try to run the ball, dominate time of possession, control that aspect of the game to keep Patrick, to keep Patrick Mahomes and, and the Chiefs offense off the field. And I think the Chiefs will try to exploit um, the 49ers run defense, which is a major weakness, and that will lead to lower scoring. I'm not expecting a high scoring shootout. Could that happen? Sure. I think both offenses are good enough for that to happen, but, um, I think it's more likely that teams will, will play the matchups and run the ball a lot, and that will lead to lower scoring. Now it's time for my prediction. Who do I think is going to win this game? I have a really hard time picking this game. I've thought about it a lot because I think the Chiefs, I'm sorry, I think the 49ers are the better team, and I think matchups favor them in this game. And for that reason, I want to pick them, but the Chiefs' defense has been so good in the playoffs, and I love their defense. I love what Steve Spagnuolo has been doing in the postseason, Um, and I have some concerns about Brock Purdy. I don't trust him yet. His decision-making has always been a bit of an issue, and it's been a huge issue in the playoffs, and I'm just worried that it's going to make too many bad decisions, and he may have a few turnovers in this game, and if that's the case, I think the Chiefs win. But if he plays well and the 49ers are clicking on offense, I think the 49ers could win this game. And if one of these teams is going to win big, I think it's the 49ers. So my head tells me that the 49ers are the better team. They should win this game. But my heart tells me that there's something about this Chiefs team. They're playing extremely well at the right moment. I trust Patrick Mahomes more than I trust Brock Purdy. And I just haven't been that impressed with the 49ers in the playoffs so far. When you look at all of the numbers in, in, in a large sample size, when you look at their numbers from the beginning of the regular season to the end of the playoffs, the 49ers have the advantage here. They're the better team, like I said. But... The playoffs are about getting hot at the right moment. And in and, and, and the playoffs, having the better quarterback is king. And it's not like the Chiefs are a bad team who's being carried by their quarterback. No, they're a good team. They're not amazing offensively, but they are elite on defense. Their defense is spectacular. And they have a good coach in Andy Reid. They've been in the Super Bowl plenty of times over the last couple of years. And I think the combination of experience, the defense playing at a high level at the right time, and Patrick Mahomes turning into a demigod in the playoffs, I think all of this gives them a real a real advantage in the playoffs. And I'm going to pick the Chiefs to win this game. I really struggle to to you know bet against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. I did it last week when I when I picked the Ravens to to win, and I'm not sure I picked them to win on the on the podcast, but I thought the Ravens were going to win that game because they're they were the better team. But the Chiefs proved me wrong. I think they're going to continue to prove uh, that they are a really good team with one of the best quarterbacks of all time in Patrick Mahomes 
and an elite defense. I think the Chiefs win. I think the 49ers are a better team, but they've just been struggling in, in, in a lot of areas in the playoffs. And I just trust Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs more. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl. Um, and yeah, that's my pick. I'm going with the Chiefs. It's hard to pick, to pick against the 49ers because I think they are so good. But I trust the Chiefs more and I'm rocking with them. Those are my thoughts about the Super Bowl. That was my preview of this game. That's all I got for this episode of the podcast. If you want to reach out to me on social media, you can. Uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter at the Ryan McCrary. That's the R-Y-A-N-M-C-C-R-A-R-Y. You can hit me up about the Super Bowl or whatever, sports-related or not. Uh, but yeah, that's all I have for today's episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. And I will see y'all next time. Peace.